everybody. It's episode 86 of Fried Squirms, and I'm Tyler. And I'm Danny. And we're going to talk about the 1963 flick, The Raven, today. But beforehand, do you got any news? Got a few things I can share this okay. week. So, over the weekend, I did get two movies I ordered from earlier in the week. So, I got a copy of the American Guinea Pigs, The Song of Solomon, and I picked up Synapse's two-disc collector's edition copy of Suspiria because I don't have it on Blu-ray, and this one has all kinds of special features. So I picked those up. I started watching a little bit of The Songs of Solomon, I told you last night, and so far so good. We'll see how the second half goes. But yeah, I did that, and you know we're still watching Castle Rock this past week. It was pretty damn decent, man. I like the episode. But... As far as horror news related items, I do have some news concerning A Quiet Place for those who have seen the film. It is getting a sequel and it has been slated for a May 15th, 2020 release. So the producer, he said he wanted to take his time. They are getting John Krasinski back. He said with the first film, they took their time with the script and, you know, just kind of fleshing out some things. And they kind of want to do the same thing. They don't want to rush it, so... That has been announced. I have seen a little bit of news that David Cronenberg is trying to come up with some kind of television series. He hasn't really released right. any news on it as far as the details, but he's got something churning. We'll see what happens. I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, that'd be dope. And we're just coming up on a lot of releases oh, in man. general there this are. entire fall season of different TV shows across like Hulu and Netflix and all that, as well as movies. More than we can keep up with, given that Jeez. we actually have normal jobs. Yeah, I know, right? This is something that is a lot of fun, but you're right. I mean, we keep pretty busy. We're busy boys. So, yeah, that's going to be exciting to see everything that's coming. I mean, shit, the Purge TV series starts tomorrow night. Tomorrow, yeah. So for And those I'm not going to watch it because Mayan's MC also starts tomorrow night. Oh, so. dang. I might be able to catch it sometime this week. It might not be tomorrow night, but soon. After we did all that other Purge shit, I'm curious to see how the TV show plays out. Yeah, so. I mean, we've gone this far with it. I'm curious. Curious enough to watch it, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. But yeah, some of the movies that are coming out, we mentioned Mandy, yeah. which is coming out, I think it's like September 14th, I believe. We talked about Halloween. It's coming out October 19th, so we'll get ready for that. Suspiria is coming out November the 2nd. All kinds of really cool films in between, so keep your eyes peeled. Oh, yeah. Jesus, even things like... I saw a screen cap from Overlord. Yeah. Uh, the new J.J. Abrams. And it looked a lot gorier than I was expecting. So, Keep I mean, let's see how that happens. Like, if nothing else, it's going to be a mystery box. Nice. Fucking mystery boxes. That's my goddamn Raiders this year. <laughs> I'm going to bitch a little bit because we just fucking traded Cleo Mac. So, fuck know, you guys. Man, I know you awesome. turned into a horror podcast, but this is my own personal horror weekend. So, <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I guess it's only fitting. Fuck. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, the only other news that I thought was worth noting, and we've mentioned this before, but apparently an episode of Netflix's Chilling Adventures of Sabrina will be a tribute to The Exorcist, because the creator said that he's a big fan of some of the 70s horrors, The Exorcist, amongst one of them, Rosemary's Babies. From the I was going to say, he's so. already cited Rosemary's Baby a few times as being an influence on the tone for the series, so yeah, that nice. also has me excited. I was already in the bag for that series. I fucking love me some Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So I read but... that it's going to be like an hour per episode. So we'll see, man. It looks pretty interesting. I know they talked about witchcraft and the occult and all kinds of neat shit. So yeah, it's all going to be fucking be fun. Satan. 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 We love that shit. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled. I think that gets right. October. We love Satan. 26th. 
believe. And we also talked about... Hey, Say You Love Satan podcast. We do. We love Satan. (laughs) Holla. But I was going to say Castlevania, the second season, same as well. Yeah, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But I did see the cast. I'm not going to name everybody, but the cast is all announced for Sabrina, of course. So it's pretty cool, man. We'll see. There's a lot of really cool actors and actresses. Some of their credits include, like, my friend Dahmer. Doctor Who, Wonder Woman. So there's going to be a lot of recognizable faces. Did they get Penn Jillette back for a cameo? I don't since know. Since he was in the TV show I know, a few that'd times. be pretty cool. I'm okay with that. Get Melissa Joan Hart to show up? You never know. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, outside of that, man, that's about what I've been up to. How about yourself? Shit, I ain't done nothing. I don't do anything. I, I fucking sit around and play video games. So. Hell yeah, get high. That's right. <laughs> I was taking a look, and we just talked about everything that I could think to talk about, because I've just been mostly thinking of all the shit that's going to be coming out pretty soon. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty excited about the next several months. And this weekend, I've been mostly getting down to like all my nerdy shit. Picked up Deadpool 2 on 4K, so nice. like watched that two times already. And Sweet. Hell yeah. That sort of shit, so... It's been fun, but well, good. That's good. Nothing, nothing particularly newsworthy. No, I know you and I both. I like so this is aside from horror, but football, NFL starts this week. So excited about that. But yeah, other than that, man, I'm excited to actually talk about this film today. Interestingly enough. Yeah. No, I think this is gonna be a fun one. Let us pop into the guts and bolts. Here we are, Guts and Bolts, for The Raven. Yes, and this was a recommended film by my dad. Way to go, Danny's dad. It's a good movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. He talked it up several months back, but we'll get into that later. Oh, shit. Speaking of which, we should probably point out, like, we might as well just, like, fucking stop telling you guys what we're going to do in advance, because every time we do... Ugh, roadblocks. Yeah, shit happens... Fucking this time, the guest that we were going to have on this episode, which was supposed to be Ichi the Killer. Right, he's actually working today. Is working, you know, providing for his family and all that bullshit. Uh, Fuck that noise. No, (laughs) he should be here watching a fucked up movie with us. I know, but that's okay because he 100% said that he's coming over next week. Next week. Yeah. So, although we were hyping this up as... A nasty week. Yeah. Two nasties (laughs) in a row. The only thing that's going to be nasty about this is... Probably us. <laughs> yeah, probably us. Maybe if you don't like looking at Peter Laurie's eyes. Yeah, that's about it, really. I can't really think of anything outside of that. Yeah. Um, Nasty-wise. I guess that's part of the guts and bolts that we should get to first, is that we had to make a last-minute switch, and this had been a recommendation for a while. I was all about it because we were wanting to throw in something nice and lighthearted because of the nasties that we were doing. <laughs> So I think we Raven. chose a good one. Yeah, yeah, no, this is a good one. This is family friendly. Certainly is. I was just thinking, we went from almost the, movie... the most family friendly movie we've done. Pretty close. I mean, we've done a couple that would contend now at this point, but this might be the most family friendly. It's yeah, arguably. But what I was gonna say on the way over, I was thinking, it's like, man, we're doing 
like what we just mentioned, a very family-friendly movie. And we went from a movie that involved a family that were not very friendly. Ooh, yeah, very not friendly at all. Ooh. What a contrast. Yeah, if you didn't go listen to that and you want to hear a family not being friendly in the slightest, not even close. listen to our Atros episode, watch the movie, Unearthed Films. Yeah, we we'll talk about all that shit. <laughs> we'll plug them really quick. Anyway, back to The Raven. 1963 yeah it was the year my mom was born coincidentally enough so <laughs> there you go in all kinds of family landmarks <laughs> let's see should we start with a synopsis yeah we'll give you a brief synopsis all right based upon very extremely loosely based upon the edgar Allan poe poem one sorcerer shows up at another's house in the guise of a raven that leads to an intricate feud between three sorcerers mm-hmm. coming to a spellbinding conclusion. And I like it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's, of course, subtle references back to the Raven poem. But, but this other is... than the first three minutes, yeah, you're it's not... out the window. It's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> yeah. So with that, yeah, good brief synopsis kind of gives you an idea of what you're getting yourself into. And sorcery. Of course, yeah, sorcery, wizardry, magic. I mean, this is the guts and bolts, so genre-wise, this is a horror comedy. Extremely light on the horror. Oh, man, no doubt. Uh, yeah. I understand why it's classified as a horror movie, but you are sort of stretching the term with it in yeah, this movie. Yeah, exactly. Stretching that shit like a rubber band. But, yeah, we like to talk about the crew, you know, the people who go into making it. And this week, we got some heavy hitters on both sides of the fence. Right, well... This time, let's go cast first, just because we've already covered more cast members, I think, than crew members, so we're going to have a little bit less to talk about. Yeah, I agree. And then we can go into some of the big names that we haven't got to talk about yet. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll start this week with the cast. The cast, I'll go ahead and start off with Vincent Price, who plays Dr. Erasmus Craven in this film. So, what I did, instead of writing down a shit ton of films all these people have been in, because I would have wrote like three or four pages worth of stuff. It's like, we'll just kind of allude back to some of the films that we've already covered that have these cast members in it. So with Vincent Price, I think of him mainly (laughs) grown up because of Michael Jackson's Thriller, because we used to listen to that on vinyl and even the video. So I think of him from there. We've already covered The Witchfinder General. Yeah, so Vincent Price, huge name in horror. Like you said, I also think of Thriller pretty much straight off with Vincent Price and like House on Haunted Hill exactly shit like that but we do talk about him quite a bit if you go back and listen to our witchfinder general episode which is also in a fantastic fucking movie starring vincent price in a far meaner role oh yeah when you compare his role in this to that yeah two different characters yeah completely two different people almost and he does a great job in both i think uh, he's slightly prissy in both of them think about who he is he's very suave yeah (laughs) very debonair but, I mean, Vincent Price, huge name, huge draw. This fucking movie's full of them. I'll kind of skip down a little bit on the star chart. Okay. Not that this means that his star is any lower than anybody else, but just in terms of who he was at this time period. So we get to see a very young Jack Nicholson in this film, and he plays Rexford Bedlow. That's his character in this. And we'll allude back to our Shining episode because we cover all his credits and all the shit that we see him in. And, and if you're um, not sure who Jack Nicholson is, <laughs> just look courtside at a Lakers yeah, game. Yeah, he'll be there at a Lakers <laughs> game. <laughs> all right, so I'll name one that kind of keeps, like when I think of him growing up, I always think of him as 
the Joker, Tim Burton's Joker, Michael Keaton's Batman. You know, it's one of those films. The Shining, of course. The like Shining, that. of course. Um, yeah, just so many other. He's been a comedy. I tend to go. Or, I know, fucking know. love Cuckoo's Nest. So oh, One Flew Over. So mm-hmm. good, man. That's classic. We, of course, though, talk at great lengths about Jack Nicholson and just how good he can do in a movie in yes. our Shining episode, as you mentioned. That episode is a commentary, by the way, so you can sync it up and have us talk over The Shining because you know that that's what you've always wanted. Oh yeah, you can't wait to hear all our little snippets. We're just gonna we're gonna end up shameless plugging like at least one more time in this episode. We can't help it; it's just because of some of the people we've covered. But you're right, and that keeps us from being here for like three hours just talking about these fuckers' credits. So no kidding. All right, so now back to the heavy people we haven't talked about. Yes. Is that who we're in? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So the first one I'll mention is Peter Lorre. And this is a well-known actor for the time period going all the way back to, I want to say like the 30s and 40s. I know... Oh, yeah, one like 31 the... was when he was in M. Yeah, and that's so good. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I've never it's seen creepy. M. I've only heard it's good dark. things, though. It's really good. Yeah, I went on a big Criterion kick like back in the mid-2000s. See, because when I think Peter Lorre, well, I kind of think two things. My first impression of Peter Lorre wasn't Peter Lorre. I knew Peter Lorre as a pop culture reference throughout my childhood thanks to Looney Tunes. There was the character of Dr. Lorre, mm-hmm. a like mad scientist that appeared in at least two different of the classic Looney Tunes episodes that I had on VHS while nice. growing up. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. What were... I wish I could fucking remember their names off the top of my head. Oh, Hair Raising Hair is the one that I remember specifically. But he, like, through a lot of cartoons and stuff, when I was young, I'm sure when you were young, if they needed to make a creepy celebrity reference, it was generally like a Peter Lorre impersonation. Yeah, because of some of his... Early roles like M and yeah, his exactly. horror roles. Yeah, because he is kind of a, an odd looking person per se i mean he's not an ugly guy or anything like that but he has certain features that stand out when i actually think of peter Lorre, i think of casablanca yeah <laughs> reek reek you must help me reek you must save me reek he's good man he was good you go back and you see him in the maltese falcon i think mr moto in some of the films mm-hmm. which is kind of ooh, when you look at it now you're like oh damn <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I mean, you mentioned Casablanca and Arsenic and Old Lace. I mean, he's got over a hundred something odd movies to his credit, but well known in the forties, fifties, sixties. You know, just very good comic timing. Oh, he was the very first Le Chief. Oh, nice! In the old Casino Royale. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm glad he's in this film, man. He's <laughs> he's something else, dude. Let's see. Oh. Another gigantic name in horror. No, we, How are we hitting him in this movie and not one of the classics? I was going to say, we've already covered Universal. And right. this is one of the big standouts. Boris Karloff is in this movie. Another guy who has a ton of credits, so I guess it's not too surprising that we're running into him here. But, I mean, when you look at what he's known for in the world Jesus. of horror especially, Boris Karloff is the goddamn mummy. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> So I will say that Peter Lorre plays Dr. Adolphus Benlow and oh. Karloff is Dr. Scarabus. But you're right. Think of him as the mummy. Universal is the mummy. I mean, he was Frankenstein in The Bride of Frankenstein. He's in The Black Cat. I mean, you'd start looking at like all those 30s and 40s movies he was in and 50s. Like, Jesus Christ. 
he's also the motherfucking Grinch and the narrator. <laughs> you know how he kind of how the Grinch stole of... Christmas. <laughs> Not that I get them confused, but he and Abe Vigoda <laughs> kind of mm, favor each other yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he does kind of look Vigoda-ish, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does. Those are the two that kind of stand out to me: him being Frankenstein and him Frankenstein being the and the Mummy. Yeah, and we're talking old school here. I mean, when I think of Frankenstein in my head, yeah, it's Karloff. Yeah, without a doubt. He's iconic. When I think of the mummy in my head, even when I think of the Brendan Fraser mummy, yeah. I think of Karloff in that movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, That's definitely Karloff. We've actually got a scream queen. Yeah. yeah, so Hazel Court, she plays Lenore Craven in this. And I did read a quote by Ingrid Pitt, who we covered in The Wicker Man. She was the librarian in that, one of the blondes. And mm-hmm. anywho, she's like, before she even got involved with the Hammer House, she's like, Hazel Court was the original scream queen of those films. So she kind of started off with like bit parts, and then she became more of like a leading lady. And she was known for doing a lot of those horror films back in the 50s and kind of in the early 60s. Devil Girl from Mars. Yeah. Mask of Red Death, along with Vincent Price, which is another Roger Corman who we'll talk about in a minute. Oh my gosh, I know, right? Premature Burial, all sorts of shit. Yeah, I did read a quote, too, like later on in her life. She got to the point where she didn't like a lot of the violence and sex and, you know, the gore and stuff that you've seen. And I think even she talked down a couple of Quentin Tarantino films. Yeah, oh, that was kind of interesting, but... Oh, and she was in the first Color Hammer film. Yeah, which one? Curse of Frankenstein. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, so. As Elizabeth. Yeah, big time name for old school horror as well. I mean, fuck. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the next actress that I do have is Olive Sturgis. She plays Estelle Craven, who plays the daughter of Vincent Price's character. And when you look at some of her stuff, she goes way back as well. She's mostly known for doing like a lot of television work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you look at some of her credits, I mean, you go like <laughs> later on with Perry Mason. She was in Showers of Stars, The Millionaire, John Wesley Harden, Tales of Wells Fargo. So she has a little bit more extensive television credits more so than film. Now, she, I mean, she's also been in some other films, but nothing of note quite like this one. Now, the other actors and actresses I have, they kind of play bit parts in this film. They're not in it very long, but Connie Welsh, she, she plays the maid in this film. William Baskin plays Grimes, and Aaron Saxon is Gort, who is a guard later on in the film. So that kind of rounds out the cast, and now we can kind of revert back to the crew. So legit, when I was watching it, I couldn't tell if Grimes and Gort were the same person or not. Yeah. And I thought it was a better joke that if it was the same person rather than different. But... That would have been pretty funny. <laughs> well, I do know something about William Baskin is that he had been dubbed in this film because apparently his voice wasn't menacing enough. Mm. And I believe it's Roger Corman used one of his voice actors who usually dubs in other people's voices for that part. So when you watch this film, it's not William Baskin talking. <laughs> so all right anyhow we're talking about roger corman now he is a director of course and we talked well you and i talked about how many fucking films he's produced we could sit here and talk all day about all the films that he's helped produce uh yeah roger corman definitely deserves i mean we're not going to list off all of his fucking credits but if you're not familiar with roger corman i think it's very safe to say american cinema wouldn't exist the way it does without him 
I totally agree. Extremely influential and important in the early like independent film scene in America. As uh, God, what like nine or how many directing credits? It wasn't that many. Uh, Like fifteen, twenty, something like that. His directing credits. Yeah, which I mean is still a good amount, right? But right. But then you add on to that 485 producing credits. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he directed 56. You're right. He produced over 400. He's responsible for like nine writing credits. He's acted in film. So he's all over the place. And beyond that, he also, he had his hand all over because like when he was the head of New World Pictures, one of the production companies that he founded and worked with for a while before selling it. Obviously, like, they were producing movies, and he was very involved in making sure these different independent films happened through that label and such. But the other thing was that there was a distribution arm to that company. And so he was very big part of just getting some foreign films released in the United States, including the works of, like, Akira Kurosawa, oh, which... If you don't have Kurosawa in the United States, you don't end up with Star Wars. Yeah, you don't end up with a lot of shit. Right? And then beyond that, with working in the small-time part of the movies, he ended up working with a lot of people early on in the careers, in some cases giving them their big break. Yeah. Let's see. I'm just going to read off a couple names from this list. Directors that he worked with early in their careers would be like Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Ron Howard, Peter Bogdanovich, Gail Ann Hurd, Joe Dante of like Gremlins, yeah. James Cameron, fucking Timur Bekmambetov. <laughs> and then acting wise, you have like, he gave Jack Nicholson his first starring role, worked with him at least three times that I can think of. Yeah, I know for sure he was in... Little Shop of Horrors, like, way back Four around. times then. Jesus. Like, I think directly after they shot this movie was Karloff and Nicholson in The Terror, because yeah. they just used the sets from this movie and that. And the sets but it was, like, two this. years before this. I can't remember what the movie was, but he gave Nicholson his first starring role. Wow. Peter Fonda, Bruce Dern, Charles Bronson, Dennis Hopper, Talia Shire, Sandra Bullock, Robert De Niro, David Carradine. Wow. So, yeah, if you've even heard of any of these names, which you should have, you can thank Roger Corman. Uh, yeah, I mean, movies wouldn't be the same without him. Yeah, exactly. Low-grade horror movies wouldn't be the same without him. And that's part of the fun thing about those 485 production credits. Yeah. If you go through and you look at some of those names, <laughs> it's like the shit that you would make up, like, to have in the background... On, like, a marquee for a fucking, like, drive-in theater yep. if you were making a period piece. Exactly. All, that was, like, creature Some of the features, names sound completely stories. fake fucking movies. Yeah. But they were all real. We know you're right. And they're you're Corman right. flicks. <laughs> Thank him as well. So, you know, during this time period, too, like, 50s through the early 60s, mid-60s, he was known for working on a lot of Edgar Allan Poe adapted stories. So, much like Stuart Gordon <laughs> with H.B. Lovecraft... Roger Corman liked to work on Poe projects, so when you start looking at some of the titles, Red Mask of Death, The Towers, and shit like that, The Raven, of course. Oh, and you best believe that at some point we're going to cover fucking Fall of the House of Usher. Yeah, we can't help but, you yeah. know. So, yeah. Or House of Usher, I guess, is just the movie, but... I mean, yeah, we know it's based on that a story, Fall of the House of Usher. But regardless, Roger Corman, all the way up through, like, 1990, he directed, and he kind of stopped directing, and was more on the producing arm, but... 
he's still in shit. He's still doing stuff. I mean, thank God, right? I actually own, like, a bucket of blood. So eventually <laughs> I'll get around to watching that. Just been sitting on it. But, yeah, dude, I'm excited that we're actually covering him today. Big name. Big name huge in name. cinema. Period. Yeah. That was a huge selling point for me on this movie. Like, oh, Corman? Hell oh, yeah. Oh, it's Corman directed? I'm even more in. Yeah. So. so, yeah, it's fun, man. It's a good way to get ourselves involved. All right. So not to move on too much from him, but some of the writing on this, we've actually mentioned this gentleman before. It's Richard Matheson. Once again, somebody who's had a huge influence on the face of pop culture, almost just because the amount of things that he's He's fucking written. written. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So one of the credits, easy one we can go ahead and talk about, is because of uh, The Devil Rides Out. He worked with Jacques Turner on that. He helped write that. He was also responsible for like... The Last Man on Earth, The Omega Man, I'm Legend. <laughs> so if you've seen any of those incarnations of it, whether it's Charlton Heston or Will Smith, you've seen his work. <laughs> I always think of the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet segment of Twilight Zone. Yeah, dude. But really, because you mentioned Devil Rides Out, we did an entire episode on that. Yeah, we did. We really Another liked that one, movie. Christopher Lee. Oh, yeah. It hit some other huge names. So we would recommend, if you want to hear more about his yeah, gigantic it's, it's list of horror. credits... I think we talk about it a little bit more in that We one. talked about We Like Satan. Yeah. <laughs> the Devil Rides Out. So yeah, check out some of those credits. And of course, we mentioned that this movie is loosely based off of Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven. All right, our cinematographer on this, of course, is another big name. This is Floyd Crosby. And when you start looking at some of his credits, you're like, oh boy, here we go. Because he started off in the 30s, went all the way up, at least in the late 60s, as a cinematographer. Over 128 credits to his name. Such things as Taboo. This is like his 1931 film, The Pit and the Pendulum. He worked a lot with Roger Corman on some of these films. High Noon, if you're familiar with Gary Cooper. Pajama Party back in the 60s. I mean, unbelievable credits. But mostly some of his collaboration work with Roger Corman. Our editor on this, another big name, of course, is Ronald Sinclair. He's actually got some really cool credits, too, because not only is he an editor, but he was mostly known for some of his sound department stuff. So I'll name a few of those, but if you've ever seen the film Die Hard, Spaceballs, Commando, Predator 2, any of that, he did a lot of the ADR editing in that. Mm. So he's responsible for some of the dialogue, ADR, like I said, some of the editing on that. Most of his editing credits, though comes back from this time period because of his works on a tower of london a christmas carol actually he was an actor on that he was a young scrooge in a christmas carol from like the 30s i thought that was kind of neat but yeah like i said another big name mostly because of his sound department work he did a lot of stuff in the 50s and 60s as far as his editing film work the music on this another big name les baxter he's known for a lot of pieces actually on soundtracks because of some of his previous works so he's got like 31 different music department credits. If you've seen stuff like Lassie from the 90s, you've probably heard some of his composition. If you've seen stuff like, I mentioned Pajama Party, Dementia mm-hmm. 13, which is like a really good film from back in the 60s, early 60s, 63 as a matter of fact, The Comedy of Terrors. Looks like a lot of stuff from the 50s, 60s, a lot of stuff that you've probably heard. I mean, David Lynch used him on his soundtrack for Wild at Heart. His work was on Hitman, Agent 47, the film, The Machinist, which we mentioned couple times because Christian Bale. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, pretty big name in terms of music from the 50s, 60s, all the way up through now. Now, on this, I do have some special effects. Butler Glauner Incorporated, they help with the photographic effects on this. And Pete Dingo was actually the special effects artist on this film. Mm -hmm. Roger Corman was, of course, the producer on this film. 
The production company was Alta Vista Productions. The distributors were AIP, that's American International Pictures. They helped with the 1963 USA theatrical release. The release date was January 25th here in the States, 1963. It had an estimated budget somewhere between $200,000 to $350,000. It grossed at the box office $1.5 million. Sure. So I don't know what that comes to to inflation, but that's some pretty decent numbers, yeah. man. I think this is one of his most successful hits, too, at the box office, if I'm not mistaken. I do have two taglines for this film, and that is The Terror Begins at Midnight, and the second one, which I think is a little bit more appropriate, Wits and Wizardry Run Afoul. Yeah, that one's way more appropriate, because no terror ever begins in this movie. <laughs> not at midnight. I don't even think they specify that. Either that or we just didn't get to midnight in this movie. This all happens before midnight, and the terror happens after. <laughs> That's pretty funny. The way they spelled a foul. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. really? Yep. Awesome. Because of the Raven. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our cast and our crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. We've got so many warnings. Now, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All like, the warnings. Jeez, compared to last week where we were alluding to a lot of things, this week is like, you don't have to worry about language. There's magic. Yeah. If you don't like magic. If you don't like films from the 60s. <laughs> You don't like anybody we mentioned in this film. <laughs> There's really nothing too objectionable in this yeah, movie. Uh, if mean, you don't like cleavage. Yeah, oh man, I know, right? There are a few, a few there's maybe a, ghastly sites for kids, perhaps. Yeah, like corpses. I was going to say there's like there's maybe two things that, yeah, I was going to say there's maybe two things that qualify as jump scares. Maybe. Yeah, there's a plastic bat. <laughs> Yeah, there's some 1960 CGI. <laughs> that's not even CGI. That's no, rotoscoping. Yeah, I know. And yeah, not I mean, good rotoscoping. No, it is not. Ooh, a little rough. But yeah, I mean, that's... If you're averse to bad rotoscoping. <laughs> oh my gosh. Some matte painting, you can kind of see that a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, outside of that, man, this is, like we said, a very family-friendly movie. One of the lightest ones we've ever covered, perhaps. But that doesn't mean it's not fun. No, I really enjoyed it. And we're going to talk about more how we enjoyed it and how it made us squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh, God, what, what's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh, my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh, gee, why? Why? Come on. Somebody, somebody. Ah. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, you must listen. Somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will shock you. Come on. Sir, sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright, so we get to squeal on our 86th episode. We did mention this is 1963's The Raven because there is like a... There's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a version in the 30s actually Boris Karloff was in. Yeah, that's actually true. <laughs> Boris Karloff was already in, a, I think, 31? I think you're right. It's like I think there's period. one before that too, though, that was a silent oh, picture. I can believe it. Like a 1915 or something like that. And then there was... The recent one? John Cusack, <laughs> which I haven't seen. I don't know. Me either. I didn't hear the greatest things about it. No, I mean, the premise sounds promising, but I don't know. I'll have to watch it to find out, I suppose. I like John Cusack. We'll see. Well, you're right. 1963. Overall, this was the version I was most interested in seeing. Likewise. This was recommended by my father. And before I knew anything about the film, 
he was doing like little hand gestures. He's like, yeah, it's one of those films that he was doing that shit. And I was like, all right. I didn't know really what he meant by, I mean, I kind of, but not really until I watched the film. I was like, oh shit, (laughs) this is fucking hilarious. Oh man. Yeah. I'm kind of glad you brought that up. I was going to get to it sooner or later anyway, but kids strap in for a wizard fight that makes the geriatric wizard fight in Lord of the Rings look like a fucking Iron Man competition. Oh my gosh, dude. There is so much bits of comedy in this that it's just, it's a lot of it really underplayed though. Yeah. Other than maybe Peter Lorre and price a couple times a lot of it is kind of just understated and you're like oh oh that's kind of funny (laughs) yeah but it's enjoyable so yeah this is one that my dad was talking about you know growing up where you didn't see a bunch of gore and it was just mostly implied horror you know like because a lot of the films are in that time period we're kind of known for they didn't you know they weren't like really in your face but yeah horror is a whole different creature now shit right the fact that this is considered to be horror of any kind i mean i can see it when you watch it you can see it but it's stretching it like for what we've grown up with and been used to totally agree yeah this is not a conventional war film per se it's one definitely for this time period where yeah maybe i mean so i mentioned there's a couple jump scares like the eyes would count as a pretty good jump scare to be honest yeah i think like i said some of the imagery of corpses and stuff i mean it's i can see like maybe little kids and it's all weird and supernatural and they're making shit happen with just their hands and really bad rotoscoping oh my gosh one of the funniest things all right for me watching this film is it opens up with price he's reciting the poem i was kind of confused by that because it's a very straight opening for like the first three minutes it's a bit melodramatic almost soap opery but it's it's a extremely straight opening for what the rest of the movie is and then peter laurie shows up and opens his car (laughs) oh even before that dude you got vincent price he's kind of like squiggling out a raven. The raven. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh shit, this is what we're going to get into. But you're right, Peter Lorre shows up as a raven, and he's very snarky, and it's very comedic. I mean, it's funny. Most of it's ad-libbed, actually, mm-hmm. which kind of shows his humor. You know, It's like he actually has got a pretty good sense of humor. He's fucking funny. I felt like you could kind of tell every line of his that was ad-libbed. He was probably drunk. Yeah. <laughs> So while we're still in this first scene, it's going to allude to some of the shit that happens later on. But especially going through this movie for the first time, it's kind of a mystery movie. Yeah. Because it seems like every character except for the kids is hiding something. They're not who they are upon the first time you meet any single one of the characters, even Vincent Price, your protagonist. Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind of like how they set that up from the get-go, because you do see him doing that really fucking ridiculous magic in the beginning. Yeah. But then 15 minutes later, you learn, oh shit, in the world of this movie, in order to do what he was doing, as silly as it fucking looked, he has to be really powerful. Yeah, I mean, we learn much later that that's like the most powerful technique in wizardry or magic or whatnot. Yeah. And it just keeps adding these little mystery layers where like, oh shit, like... 15 minutes later, when you learn that you have to be powerful to do that, you're suddenly looking back like, oh, so what's up with Price's character? Like, Yeah, he's got some secrets that he's not sharing. 
I like it, man, because it does turn into like a little buddy-buddy thing between Peter Laurie and Vincent Price because Laurie's wanting to turn back to his true form. And when you finally do, it's even you know more comedy to, stacked on top of comedy because he's not all the way back. <laughs> and he keeps a crypt. That's what Vincent Price does of like mm-hmm. Lenore, his dad, anybody that's deceased. He's from a pretty wealthy estate. And we do have to at least make mention a little bit that they try to set this like in, in the 1500s, early 1500s. It'd be at least 1506. Yeah. Because so. his dad's been dead at least 20 years and is on his father's crypt. Mm-hmm. Stone, tombstone, tombstone whatever. whatever. Yeah. Headstone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wherever it says when he fucking lived, he it's died in 1486. Yeah. So, and he makes mention, of course, 20 years has passed. So, you're right, 1506. So, one thing I can say, too, because of that time period, whoever designed the set and the wardrobes and whatnot, they did a fucking good job. Because the first thing I noticed, one of the first things, was what Vincent Price is wearing. He's like, damn, check my dude out. One of my notes is I legit want to wear Vincent Price's silver outfit. That was sharp as fuck. It is dope. I kind of didn't like the gold accents on it. It's okay. We can customize it. But yeah, that's, yeah. It was sweet. We can play with that a little bit. Yeah, everything in there looked appropriate. Like nothing felt out of place is what I'm getting at. At least as much as we know. Right, exactly. Who knows, it might have been fucking out of place as shit, but it 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 got the point across. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's even like little subtle things from the poem that they use when the raven perches on the the bust. On the bust of Palace. Yeah, Athena. It's like, okay, well, that's cool. They're still using some of those devices. It even starts off with like a clicking, or I won't say clicking, but the clock ticking. Mm. And you know, you hear the tapping. So at least they're throwing some of that in there just as for reference sake. So, especially my first time through, I sort of mentioned this. I definitely, as funny as it is, and there is humor throughout it all, it's a horror comedy. I definitely viewed it a little bit more from the horror mystery side. Mm-hmm. Because, partially because they were a little bit in vogue at the time. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know my, you know. But because they kept doing the little switch-ups where you're like, oh, he was hiding this. Oh, he was hiding this. Oh, he was hiding this. Yeah. And so my first time through... I was kind of just sitting there puzzled, like, oh, I wonder if Peter Laurie might... Like, while he's sitting here telling his story to Vincent Price, I was like, is he actually Scarabus, and he's trying to trick him right now? Because it's obvious he's not completely on the up and up, because he's refusing to tell him some of the things. And then I even got to the point where I was like, is Peter Laurie too drunk all the time to actually know who Scarabus is? Yeah. And is Vincent Price actually Scarabus? And That's Peter Laurie fucked with somebody else? Yeah, it's hard to really trust whatever Bedlow has to say, Peter Laurie, in, in this case. Yeah. And I completely wasn't thinking about the fact that I knew that Boris Karloff was in the movie. And so <laughs> I should have put it together a lot sooner. That I was like, oh no, we just haven't actually ran into Scarabus. It does take yet. a little while, though, before we actually get to see Boris Karloff. But I mean, when we do, he's in the thick of shit. With all these names, do you think this could be considered Roger Corman's most star-studded film? I know it's been alluded that, like, yeah, it's not only that, but because I can't like, think of any, I can't think of anything else he's done that has had this, this many people. Not off the top of my head. Like I said, maybe some of the ones we mentioned earlier, but I don't even know if they have the star-studded cast like this one. And probably not even some of the movies he's produced. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I mean, we've already mentioned like. When you think of Price and Karloff in horror, and then, you know, you throw in Peter Laurie and Jack Nicholson, you got four studs right there. Yeah. Oh, man. Scream Queens. Yeah, Scream Queen. Yeah. This is a good cast. No, it is. It's a very solid cast. It's like the acting, even though it's not a very large cast, 
at times it does feel kind of like a stage production. I mean, I imagine some of this was shot on a stage. Motherfucker, that was one of my notes too. Is like at times the writing feels like a play. Yeah. One of my critiques of this movie, I guess, if I have any, it does kind of feel like it takes a bit to get going. The first third of the movie feels kind of slow. And when it's only Price and Laurie, the timing felt weird. Like, it felt like there was a little space between the jokes and shit. Totally. But I felt like as more characters got introduced into this movie, it just got better and better. And the timing got crisper and crisper between everybody. Yeah, I agree. You're right, because I think between two people having dialogue compared to like four or five people in a scene yeah it's got to be a little bit quicker and whatever they did made it happen quicker because the movie improves the more people are on screen that's interesting too because i wonder how much that has to do with the fact that they only shot this in like 15 days so it's like there had to be a certain beat to this film i'd imagine And that Boris Karloff didn't like Peter Lorre improvising his lines. Yeah, and (laughs) Jack Nicholson and Peter Lorre apparently didn't get along either. Right. So Peter Lorre probably was drunk on this film. (laughs) But it lends its hand to the fact that he's fucking hilarious in this film. And he's got some really good lines. Just his mannerisms, too, and just, you know, the way he slouches and shit. He's good, man. I even like the scene before they even head out to go to Scarabus's. Mm-hmm. Vincent Price is trying to give Peter Lorre, like, all these different That might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> He's like, oh, I like this one. It's okay. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's okay. That's all right. This no, no really, heavy. anything will do. <laughs> yeah. Tried all the different hats on. I, mean, oh, I don't want to get choked by a hat. <laughs> oh, my God. A lot of that is hilarious. He's like, no, that's a scarf. He's like, oh, I know. What yeah. It's like, oh my gosh. I'm not looking to be choked by a hat. It's so hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that exchange is really good. No, really, anything will do. Anything will do. This is too long. He's tripping up. So there's a lot of that stuff, man. It's really funny. That's something, too, like, what really Ooh. drew me into this film was like, this is fucking good. <laughs> this is, I like it. Peter Lorre also slipped in what might have been the undercover, the dirtiest joke in this movie. She favors him. I'd have to think about where that's at. When Rexford pops up. Oh, hold on. I think I need to talk about that. So yeah. Rexford pops oh, up yeah. when the shit with Grimes happens and all that, and they're about to head out to Scarabus's place, right? Mm-hmm. And they're getting in the carriage, and Estelle, was that her name? Yeah. Is all horny for Rexford. Yeah. She's all uh, about some Jack. Yeah, she wants a bit of Jack, and so she goes up front. And Price was cool with it, which I thought was kind of a cool move on his part, because he's yeah. like, I have a fucking adult daughter. Like, she can do what she yeah, wants. Yeah, exactly. She can make her own decisions. Yeah. I'm not going to be That's fucking... progressive as fuck for 1500. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool, because he, he looked for a second. He's like, okay, I get what's going on. Like, yeah. go for it, girl. Like, I got your back. Yeah, we got this. And he gets into the fucking carriage with Lori. And says something to him like, oh, it's a fine looking boy you have or something like that. And he's like, favors his mother. And he's like, she favors him. (laughs) It's like, wow. Yeah, he wasn't talking about the mom. (laughs) That's funny. And I was like, ooh. I do feel like parts of this movie were just sort of pushing things by and alluding to what was actually going on, especially when you get into the later scenes with Lenore and Karloff. Oh, yeah. One of my notes immediately was, if this was a 1980s film, there would be so many tits in this oh, movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah, boy. You ain't lying. <laughs> you ain't they, never lying. <laughs> well, they have these natural spots, though, where yeah. 
if this was a movie in a time period where it was cool or edgy to be more risque, yeah, yeah. then Lenore, all of her dialogue is alluding to the fact that she fucks Karloff because he's powerful. Exactly. There's favors for favors. But they're just never quite going all the way with exactly. it. Exactly. Like when, when he undoes undoing. her dress, in an 80s film, she would have continued... Right changing in front of him and yeah. it wouldn't have been like a big deal it wouldn't have been like a sexualized scene but it would have been a gratuitous nudity for nudity's sake scene exactly. that we would see in a lot of other movies mm-hmm. and they just went right up to that edge and then just never pushed it and that's basically every scene she has in this movie yeah i mean she's constantly alluding to the f- all right now <laughs> gosh She's old enough to be everybody's great-great-grandma in this film. <laughs> Not in the film, but now. But anyway, right, she is very bucks me. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're right. I mean, they would have showed that off in probably late 70s, early 80s, stuff we grew up watching. And like 80s horror movie, Rexford and Estelle meeting in her room. Uh, probably would have been played for sex comedy laughs. Yeah, he would have been the stumbling idiot. She would have yep. been trying to get on him while he's just trying to like actually do the valiant thing. Exactly, exactly. There is a lot of that alluding to, but that you we never see get, get play played out, out yeah. later on in different eras. Precisely, this was precisely the setup for all. You those know, that's types a good point. Jokes. That's um, for the time period. We have to keep in mind too. You know. There's certain things that you can like I said, reference or allude to, but you can't go past a certain line. Whereas much later, because or, of films like this... Or you could. could go past a certain line, but you're not going to do that in a movie with Vincent Price, no, Boris Karloff, no, no. Peter Not unless you want like, an X rating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get banned. But you're right. With these guys, you can only take it so far. But, you know, it's okay, man. It, I kind of like a little bit of that, too. Sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of that mystery. You know? Yeah, and it was fun to see... It's playful is what it is. It's fun because you can see how it's evolved over the years. When you look back at these things, you're like, I understand the basis for this scene on a structural level yeah, exactly. from watching <laughs> so much a shit. million fucking movies in my life. And I know where this kind of scene ends up. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there are certain things you know that are, of course, left to the imagination. You can kind of fill in the blanks, but... It isn't deader from the film at all. You're right. It's just it's fun to see where a lot of these later films get these plot devices from. So, I have a question. Yes, sir. Do you think that Vincent Price from the get-go actually knew the ingredients for the potion and was just uh, fucking with Lori? Knowing what we know now, I would say it's highly likely, yeah. He probably just didn't want to go down into that dungeon lab area and fucking with him. He's like, you're a raven. I could give two shits less about what you're doing here. Yeah, I think he did know all that stuff. Why else would he have him still hanging out? And knowing that he's got and the that's strongest kind of, magic. Yeah, and that's kind of when shit started getting revealed like that was why I was like, is Price really Scarabus? That's a good point. We don't really I mean, know for sure. Well, I mean, we know for sure now. I mean, of met, course, but, but at, like my first, first time through, right. I was like, is he Scarabus? No, there are some questions that are not answered at that point. That's was definitely it, one of them. So, was it Scarabus that ensorcelled Grimes? Or had Price already made Lori and the fact that he was up to something? And so he did it to force the issue at Scarabus's. It's true. Now, this is going to sound like a bit of deja vu. <laughs> because for us it is. But thinking about it, I think like what you were saying, it's probably 99%. Yeah, it was Scarabus for sure. 
but there's always that little bit of room for Bedlow because we know that he can work as a double agent. Well, I mean, I don't think Bedlow did it. I think Price did it. Oh, 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 you mean, okay, I see what you're saying. Because he already figured up out Bedlow was up to something Some, no good, yeah. and the answer could only be found at Scarabuses, and so he forced the issue that way. You know, I don't think that's the answer, nah, yeah. but it's possible. I mean, Especially th- with the way that he shoes off the topic yeah. when Bedlow tries to bring it up right after. That's a good point. There's a little bit of room for that. I mean, they're all sorcerers here. <laughs> you know, something had to be accelerated, so to speak, right? Some actions. So, yeah, I can see that. There's some room for that. Either way, Price's campy grin on the way down after <laughs> he gets whacked by Grimes is priceless. Oh, so. my gosh. Is that <laughs> all slow-mo, has that happy grin on his face. He's got some really good facial expressions in this movie. He's got some great facial expressions. He's got some great fucking intonation. Yes, he does. Parts of his performance were... Oh, it's hard to describe how exactly, but it kind of <laughs> reminded me of a little bit of Gene Wilder's performance as Willy Wonka. Yeah, I can see that. Especially when he was like being purposely ambivalent about things sometimes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how to better describe it, but there was times where I was just like, oh, that's neat. I like that. <laughs> yeah, there's some really good stuff from all these guys. Jack Nicholson's kind of interesting, too, because I didn't know how much he was going to be a part of the story. And when he does come in, it's pretty decent. Now, from, yeah. <laughs> from what I understand, too, is he said that he typically gets along with almost everybody on set, except for one in this particular film. It's because he and the raven didn't get along. (laughs) He said that the bird liked to poop on you a lot. And so he said, you know, there were certain scenes where he had, I mean, because you can't help but notice that that raven's pretty well trained. There's scenes, too, where I do like where Vincent Price is walking with the raven and it stays there. You can kind of make out a little bit (laughs) of like some of the strings and shit, maybe to get it to go to and from. But Mm -hmm. aside from that, getting back to the pooping, Jack Nuggeson does mention that when you're filming with the birth and after and it flies away, it's like usually it shits on you. So he didn't have a really good time with that. Of course, he he and Peter Laurie. Yeah, shit. Oh, I want to talk about some of the hand magic too, man. We got to talk about this. (laughs) We got to talk about this. Reason being because... Some of that rotoscoping, yes, it gives you the effect of what they're trying to accomplish. And it's hard. It's kind of like scanners in a sense, where if you didn't have any of those effects, like with scanners, you got the nose bleeding, so mm-hmm. you know they're using their mind control. But if you just got two guys using their hands at each other. While sitting down in chairs. <laughs> in chairs, smiling. That's what was humorous to me. It's like, this shit is crazy. It's like throwing up gang signs at each other. But the thing I liked about it, too, is like, man, this could be a little bit of borrowing. Star Wars could have borrowed some of these techniques for the Force, man. Fucking Force lightning. Yeah, I was like, this is some Star Wars shit here. It does remind me how it made sense to me that these sorcerers would want to sort of like steal each other's secrets. But I wish they would have even included like one line of fucking sorcerer speak to just sort of make it apparent why Price's power is different than Karloff's and why he needs to learn it so badly. You're right, because even at the end, the only reason why in my mind I felt like Karloff lost the battle is because he was just old. Yeah. He doesn't have the stamina. And not by much. No, <laughs> you're right, not very much, but just enough to where he's like, I'm fucking tired, I need my Geritol, <laughs> I need to see some boobs. I also kind of felt like, as they were getting out of there while the place was falling down, Yeah. 
that him making sure to grab Lenore and bring her with him might have been <laughs> might have been a very slight nod to Bride of Frankenstein oh, when he point. throws the switch and tells Elizabeth and can't remember Bad his names. name yeah. to go like you live or whatever he says and fucking throws the switch like we deserve to be dead and yeah I mean that's a good point I mean considering who Karloff is I can totally see that <laughs> right I was wondering like that's I'm like point. when he makes sure to grab her I'm like I wonder if that's this movie's version of him throwing the switch and yeah I think there is some really clever writing in this film I mean considering it is Madison but one of the lines I do like or at least some of the lines strung together is right there at the end too when Lenore she's trying to butter back up <laughs> to Graven he's like yeah yeah we gotta go we just we gotta get the fuck out of here nah I ain't saying she a gold digger but yeah <laughs> but she ain't messed with no broke magic magicians <laughs> wizards <laughs> she ain't messed with no broke wizard <laughs> no she's not man that shit's funny she... The reason I say that, I'm like, man, she tells Boris Karloff straight up. She's like, I'm with you because your wealth and your power, and you get to touch my boobs, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but you're right. When he pulls her back in, too, I'm like, man, he got that bitch. He got her. <laughs> you ain't going nowhere. That's Craven good. wasn't having it. He's like, all right, I'm over Lenore. That's a good way to get over a woman. Maybe that's kind of like the clever, knowing that the story's about a guy who's, he can't get over his lost love. Mm-hmm. And where in this case, yeah, but then when that shit happens, he's like, all right, I'm out, bitch. Yeah, oh, man. In the end, I guess that was another one of the big draws for me for this movie, because <laughs> so we have barely talked about it at all. I'm a huge fan of The Raven, because I was, you know, the, the creepy dark kid growing up. So, of yeah. course, I read a shit ton of Poe, and The Raven is fantastic and is celebrated yeah. for, I mean, the reason of it being fantastic. Yeah, I remember, I was going to mention this too, like in high school, my junior year, we had to remember like a certain excerpts mm-hmm. or certain stanzas out of the poem itself and we had to recite it back to the class. So yeah, I'm pretty familiar. <laughs> but the story itself, the poem itself, it's beautiful. It's dark, it's haunting. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's, the descent into madness. Yeah, is... the pacing of it too, you know. So as an added bonus, when I go to finish this episode next week, at the very end, I'm going to tack on me reading The, the Raven. Nice, dude. It's I'm really not going to do it right now, though, because it's a fucking long poem. Yeah. And I don't want to sit here for like two minutes just reading the goddamn <laughs> poem right now. <laughs> but yeah, if you're not familiar, catch yourself up with that. Uh, and, you know, we talked about the NFL starting up. Mm-hmm. Baltimore Ravens. Out with their mascots, Edgar, Ellen, and Poe. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's pretty awesome. And if those who don't know, this shouldn't be a mystery now, but he Go is. Go Baltimore. From, he was from Baltimore, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe. So we get into more of the American horror, like writers and some of the influences for later works, of course. If it wasn't for Poe, if it wasn't for Lovecraft and those figures, we wouldn't be talking about films like this. Ooh, an early Lovecraft is so derivative of Poe. Yeah. But, but you know, that's... I mean, he came into his own, though. You're right, you're right. But you can't help but borrow from... The what, masters. What you, well, yeah, exactly, from what you know, what you grew up with, so, yeah. I was a huge fan of Murders in the Room Org. Good, that dude. Story. Yeah, I went kind of a big kick in my junior year in high school, and I think even when I was in junior high. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's good stuff, man. You can't help it. If you're a nerd, <laughs> you gotta read them. Right. And for me, really, that made it so that this movie, even if I wouldn't have liked what was in the middle, watching this movie was worth it for me just for the bookends of hearing oh, Vincent man. Price do the opening to the poem. Yeah. And, and then. Quoth the Raven, quote, yeah. Nevermore. It's good, Although man, in a it's bit clever. of a different context oh, in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because he's finally shutting Peter Laurie up. Which is fucking hilarious, man. Kind of dark, too. It is. It really is. 
because it makes you wonder. It's like, okay, maybe he is just going to stay a raven for a bit mm-hmm. or a while. I do want to mention or one a thing. long bit. It could be a very long bit. <laughs> I did want to mention one thing because I know they didn't mean it this way, but you got to choose a better name for the highest order of wizard. They call him the Grand Wizard <laughs> of the Brotherhood. So you got to come up with a better name than that. <laughs> That's my only critique of this film. It's like, I know that's not what they meant, but... <laughs> right now, he's just the, the high dragon. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, shit. I'm glad they don't wear colored robes in this film. <laughs> you really fucked up. Yeah. But you know what? I can see the reasons, like, with my parents and maybe an older generation who grew up with this kind of horror quote-unquote horror and stuff that kind of followed right the way that they show you things the way that they allude to horror and terror or whatever it's very tame (laughs) right but for like the likes of you and me it's nice to go back and revisit some of that stuff even though we might not have grown up on it and seeing the reasons why the shit that we grew up with is the way it is oh yeah it's like you can't help but notice that you know but it's fun because going back and watching these films, for me at least, it's like, man, I really do them more than I anticipated. I probably wouldn't liked it as much as a kid, maybe. Mm-hmm. I probably would have thought of it being boring and it's old, you know, kind of the old cliches. But these are fun films, man. Oh, super it's a really fun. good one. I'm glad we're visiting Corman, revisiting Matheson's writing. There's a good chance that this might send me off on an, on an older movie kick for a little bit. Yeah, I've and that's okay been. because, ooh, considering... Yeah. I've already been meaning to rewatch. I mean, this isn't horror, but Neil Simon died a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, I know ago. we mentioned that last week, which uh, kind of sucks. So I need to watch Me Murder by Death here sometime soon. Nice. Another fantastic older comedy, though that is truly a comedy mystery as it's based on uh, like detectives and shit. Yeah. So. But another legend, nonetheless. Not as much as just like hinting at being a mystery like this one, leading <laughs> to just seated wizard battles. Man, I this is gonna sound far fetched, maybe too. It's like it felt a little bit like Scooby Doo. Little bit, didn't it? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Not was, not in a big way. No, but I mean I, I can see it though. I just like a oh yeah, just a little small party trying to uncover a mystery happens to have Boris Karloff as Scarebus. The one who kind of ends up stumbling on the closest and gets him in the right direction is kind of the idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, though, man. This is a really fun film. I'm glad my dad recommended it. And whenever he's in town, he'll kind of talk to me about some of the stuff he grew up on and you know some of the films that you and I are doing. And it's kind of nice to have a certain perspective, even though I know it's a biased perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny because I think I told you when we did our Martyrs episode that at the time that I first watched it, my dad also watched it, and I didn't really get a response out of him until, like, I don't know, it was much later. But he recalled it. Like, he remembered that film. Now, I will say this. Now, how do you forget Martyrs? Well, I will say this. It's like, that is definitely one. It's going to be hard for me to ever see him in any conversation outside of his and mine that where he's ever going to bring that up in reverence. <laughs> Whereas, you know, for you and I and horror fans in general, it's like, that's a landmark kind of film. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but I don't kind of bounce it back and forth, but I'm glad we're visiting these old films too. Like I said, it kind of gives us a break in between some of the nasty shit that we're we're doing for these few episodes. And then (laughs) that's about what I have for this movie now. Go check Uh, it out if you haven't, man. Like I said, there's some big names on this on both sides cast and crew. Yeah. Worthy watch. AIP. Great little 60s horror comedy. Yeah. I mean, you get a little Uh, bit of everything. And. 
We are getting back to the nastiness Ooh. next week. Yeah, it's for sure. It's on. We're going crime drama horror. Ooh. Bloody. Over the top. Yes. Ichi the Killer. Yes. Takashi Miike. Jeff's going to be over. We're going to be smoking weed <laughs> yes. and watching it in my living room. Possibly getting on-the-spot reactions, depending on how he reacts to the movie. Good point, yeah. Either way, I'm excited to do it. It's I a fantastic too. movie. One of my favorites by Takashi Miike. Yeah, dude. It's um, an early one for me, too. I can't wait to talk about it a little bit more next week. But in order for you guys to listen to us when that happens... Please hit subscribe, however you're listening to us right now. You can always go to our website, www.friedsquirms.com, and there's links up at the top to go to like other ways to listen to us. Or you can stream the latest episode down at the bottom. There's links to the Instagram, the Facebook, and the Twitter on there. The Fried Squirms Podcast, at Fried Squirms, and Fried Squirms, respectively. Oh, yeah. You can always contact us through the website or emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear Either from way you. works. If you're listening to us on iTunes, if you could rate and review us, like, that super helps. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a few episodes you might like from us. Yeah. Maybe. We did mention a few other episodes in this episode. Yeah. It would mean the world to us if you would go check them out. Well, I said uh, there are a lot of some of the older ones that we're kind of like we're doing today. I would especially appreciate it if you checked out the Witchfinder General episode, so because good. it's a really good movie. And I will admit it right now that it's one of our less listened to episodes. And I kind of want people to be exposed to that movie because we really enjoyed it. And it's a landmark Vincent Price performance. Maybe throw this out here too because of the way it's titled. If you don't know it by the Witchfinder General, it's also the Conqueror Worm. So <laughs> either way, it's the same film. Same film. Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Hell yeah. Go do it. Shit, is there anything else I should say? Did I cover it all? I think that's it, yeah. Like I said, if you have any suggestions, recommendations, if you just want to say hi, if you want to, you know, maybe team up later on in the future, who knows? Hit us up. We'd love to hear we're from you. We're open all sorts of ideas. Yeah, we are. And we have ideas of our own that we're just trying to figure out how to put in place. That's right. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up in the next several months, so we're getting prepared for those. But, yeah, up until then, man, I'm having fun just getting to explore all kinds of cool films. Yeah, me too. Each you next week. Oh, yeah, baby. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. All right, everybody. Tyler here. As promised, uh, I said that I would read The Raven at the end of the episode because it's a movie that, I mean, not a movie. We talked about the movie. It's a poem that goes, you know, way back into my teens when I was trying to be dark and edgy. Uh... But it definitely, like, wormed its way in. And I've been a huge fan for a long time. That being said, as much as I wanted to do a reading of this, you'd think I would have practiced. Instead, uh, in true keeping with the show, I ended up just getting, like, really high all day and watching really bloody movies and laughing a lot at that and then crying at my Raiders losing. Okay, I didn't actually cry, but they did actually lose. Uh, so I'm just going to try to wing it. And I hope I don't give the worst reading of The Raven ever. Uh, but it might happen. But I just really want somewhere to be a spot where I'm recorded reading The Raven. I, I don't know why. It's just something I've always wanted. So, fuck you guys. Here we go. The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Once upon a midnight dreary... While I pondered, weak and weary, Over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, 
while I nodded, nearly napping. Suddenly there came a tapping, as if someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to, so to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, and certain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, Some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. That it is, this it is, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, Hesitating then no longer, "'Sir,' said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word Lenore, nearly this and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, Soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what the rat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, with, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not, lest, not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but, with mine of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door. Perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from thy nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled at this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little revel revelancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door. 
bird or beast upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door with such name as nevermore but the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour nothing farther than he uttered not a feather than he fluttered till i scarcely more than muttered other friends have flown before on the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before then the bird said nevermore startled at the stillness broken and by, by reply so aptly spoken doubtless said i what it utters is only stock and store caught from on some unhappy master whom the unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore till the dirges of his only hope that melancholy burden bore of never nevermore but the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling straight i wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door then upon the velvet sinking i betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy thinking what this ominous bird of yore what this grim ungainly ghost ghastly gaunt ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore this i sat engaged in guessing but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core this and more i sat divining with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloated o'er gloating o'er she shall press <laughs> nevermore then methought the air grew denser perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor wretch i cried thy god hath lent me thee by these angels he hath sent thee respite respite and nepenthe from thy memories of lenore quaff o oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost lenore quoth the raven nevermore prophet said i thing of evil prophet still if bird or devil whether tempter sent or whether temptest tossed thee here ashore desolate all yet undaunted on this desert land enchanted on this home by ha horror haunted tell me truly i implore is there is there balm in gilead tell me tell me i implore quoth the raven nevermore prophet said i thing of evil prophet still if bird or devil by that heaven thy that bends us by that god we both adore tell this soul with sorrow laden if within the distant aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name lenore clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name lenore quoth the raven nevermore be that our sign of parting bird or fiend i shrieked up starting get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore leave no black plume as a token of thy lie thy soul hath spoken leave my loneliness unbroken quit the bust above my door take thy beak out from thy from my heart and take thy form from off my door quoth the raven nevermore 
And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the ba pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow lies floating on the floor, shall be lifted nevermore. Alright, I should have done like three takes of that. There's parts I liked, parts I didn't right off the bat. Uh, but I'm really happy that you listened to it, if you did, anyway. Um, and that's this fried squirm out for the week.